Hi, everyone, and thanks so much for tuning in to the IoT Insider. Uh, my name is Dan Cunliffe. I'm Managing Director of Pangea, and today I'm joined by my good friend and fellow sales director, Bernie McPhillips. Thanks for joining us, Bernie. Hey, Dan. Thanks for having me again. Um, it's a pleasure to be on a podcast with you. I've managed to take over a couple of times when you've not been available. Um, and that's been a while since we've been able to do one shoulder to shoulder. So I'm really looking forward to it. Perfect. Yeah, welcome on board. And um, you're right, Bernie is definitely better at this than I am. So let's see how we how we can take it forward with the, uh, with the rest of the team. Um, but today we're talking about a really interesting market and a, and a pretty strange few months um, in the world of finance. So um, we're, we're talking about IoT's role in the industry of finance, finance tech, and sort of what it can do. Maybe I'll pass it over to you, Bernie, if you want to maybe throw out some ideas. Um, you know, what, what role do you think the Internet of Things can play in fintech as a start? Um, fintech is another nice term that I've not heard an awful lot before, to be honest. But um, yeah, for those that don't know, it's obviously just an abbreviation of financial technology. Um, been around for decades, uh, probably unknown to a lot of us, and but has really helped us in the way that we, the way that we, the way we interact um, with our finances, the way we spend, the way we save, the way we invest, um, and yet yeah, it's, it's just becoming more and more prevalent in in the modern modern world. IoT is another acronym, you know, just what yeah. our, our industry is always needed. But effectively, you know, fintech would probably sit underneath that umbrella somewhere. Um, definitely got a role to play because IoT effectively is. You know, connected devices, intelligence, AI, um, putting this technology at people's fingertips to drive efficiencies, make people safer, save money, environmental benefits. So undoubtedly a huge role to play uh, in financial technology going forward. And in fact, uh, as I'm sure we'll likely discuss on this podcast, that has played a huge role in the past and, and even today. So yeah, how about you? What do you think is a big, big role to play? I think, I think there's definitely got... Um... I mean, IoT has roles to play in every market, and we're just picking one at the moment. I think um, in the finance world, it's all really about um, understanding environmental changes in terms of markets moving um, and things that can happen. I mean, you know, talks of challenges in countries around water restrictions or wartime or even, you know, movements in um, slowdown of, of, a, of a vaccine to kind of, you know, get into the COVID mode changes the way currencies are uh, displayed on Wall Street, you know, and how stocks are generated. IoT is all about being able to use devices to give us more automated information. And I think if 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 you learn that quicker and more efficiently, um, there'll be many many finance houses willing to pay big money to learn about these changes in environment so that they can be ahead of the game. I think it's quite widespread, and, and particularly with the fintech side. I mean, there's particular reference to how things like you know when you when you bring it more into a micro level. Is you know how do things like um, EPOS, Bluetooth beacons, those kind of things can actually run payments um, almost automated, but you know help a lot of um, retail environments be able to improve the way they just deal with fintech at a more micro environment. Um, I mean, I suppose that's one of the, the simplest ways. You tell a great story about how a sole trader, you know, kind of doesn't even realize that they're using IoT, but they could be. You know, they could be actually using it for helping their own business. Yeah, the you know, the term IoT wouldn't mean an awful lot to people who aren't in the industry, as it's this kind of umbrella term. Um, thanks for referencing it. It is actually a, an example of IoT and, it, and its adoption, and sometimes yeah. it's subconscious adoption that I, I speak about in just my everyday dealings within Pangea. Um, this was before the pandemic, uh, and it's a sole trader, you're right. It's, it's our local window cleaner. 
and you know cracking young lad runs his own business he's a sole trader and i just noticed one time like when um he called and asked for payment i didn't have any cash in the house you know which which can happen and he just pulls a debit and credit card machine out of his pocket otherwise known as an epos device yeah <laughs> and he just astounded me i was like wow okay so you know obviously being in the in the industry and quite interested in tech i just asked him you know why, why feel that and he basically delivered like the perfect pitch back to me uh, in, in terms of he felt that as a window cleaner he makes his money cleaning windows right the more houses the more windows he can clean the more money he collects he doesn't want to spend too much time collecting that payment because that's time spent not cleaning windows. Yeah. And he said, you know, as I as happened to me that day, he not when he's collecting payment, it's often unannounced. We don't know exactly when the guy's going to call. Um, you know, a lot, a lot of his, his business is, is weather based, etc. So he calls, asks for his payment, don't have cash, whips this card machine out, and it avoids him having to go to the same address multiple times to collect payment. Yeah. Oh, sorry, I have more cash. Oh, sorry, I forgot again. I have more cash. Because that takes time, yep. repeated time. Um, it, he, he's explained all these back to me. He said, and it's multiple journeys in my van around all <laughs> the areas where I clean windows. So I'm putting more miles on my vehicle. So I'm using more fuel. More miles on my vehicle means higher insurance. More miles on my vehicle means more frequent service intervals or tire replacements. Um, so yeah, it's just much easier for me to carry this machine. I pay a few pounds a month. and. Customers, if you don't have cash, everyone's got a debit card or credit card. Beep, I get my payment and off we go. Um, yeah, what a pitch, right? Yeah, what a pitch. Exactly. I think I think you um, again, as I mentioned before, some really great ideas we've heard from you, particularly. We you, you actually said it'd be great to you if we could do a live poll with the people listening today at how many of you actually have cash in your in your wallet today. Um, I certainly. Um, only have leftover euros from a long forgotten trip to Barcelona. That's basically all I have. Um, and uh, which is a whole nother story and probably for another podcast. But it's absolutely true. And I, I find it really interesting how from a from a fintech perspective, though, who has started to dominate the digital wallet? And what is the driving force behind it? You and I both worked in O2 for many years. And I know that O2 had actually driven a let's create an O2 wallet environment where you could pay with um, with your with your tariff if you wanted, right? You might be spending twenty pounds a month on your on your phone as your tariff, and then they would have access to let you pay through your O2 account for things. And that was quite a while ago, actually, wasn't? It? I mean, but today it's all about the manufacturers, to be honest, that have taken over that market: Apple Pay and um, Android Pay. Yeah, absolutely, Dan. You know, I don't think many of our listeners would disagree. Gone are the days when you'd leave the house and you'd be like, you know, wallet, watch, comb. <laughs> the essential now is mobile device. And if you've got that, nothing else really matters. Depending on the car you drive, you can open your car and start it with a, <laughs> with a device. You can pay for things with the device. There is now no limit on electronic payments using your device because of the biometric security, either yeah. a fingerprint or facial ID, facial recognition to authorize that payment. Genuinely, just recently, I, I made a small trip out for a number of errands and genuinely did go out without my, my wallet. And my initial instinct was to turn around and drive home for yeah. it. And then immediately thought, I don't need it. I've got my I've got my, my, my iPhone. Yeah. Other operating systems are available. <laughs> um, because, because with that device, I've got all my different methods of payment, a range of different cards available to me, depending on what I'm buying and how I want to pay for it. And... You know, a big part of our modern society today is, is loyalty cards as well, either for discounts or collect some form of points. They're all on your device. So your, your mobile device now, which invariably we, we do reach for first when we get up in the morning, and it's the last thing we put down at night, 
and it's the first thing we you know, we, we we ensure is in our pocket when we're leaving the house. It's always with us. It's becoming our wallet. It, it truly is. Yeah, hundred percent. It'd probably be like ID and things like that. You're going to be able to store on on your wallet, uh, on your mobile device. That anything else that would possibly be in your wallet would will now be on on your mobile phone. This really this really opens up a topic around. Um, something you want to talk about, which is which is the internet of value. Um, is something around, it's still fairly conceptual, but I can I can see it working, but needs a lot of, in my view, internet of things, IoT to help it, which is, you know, the idea behind the internet of value is that value will be transferred as easily as data is transferred over the web right now. So why do we need, and being being South African originally, I find it very frustrating to transfer money home for my, for, for my mom and them to use. It's a really cumbersome, difficult thing to do. Yet, I have an account in South Africa, and I have an account here, and I'm and I and I've been vetted through several biometric tests on both sides. Yet, it's still not possible to just do it on the touch of a button. And one of the things I met with the company, um, our one of our CTO um, Chris Ramika and I went to Israel a couple of years ago to, to work on some interesting deals around um, around uh, smart containers. And you can listen to that podcast, which we'll send a link in the in the bottom on that. But basically, we uh, spoke to a company which is all about how can you use devices, the Internet of Things, to um, authenticate the the sort of high value transactions in a in a very um, sort of different way. So I'll give you a bit of explanation. So, for example, if you had sensors around the world that could give you information like, you know, um, what is the current air temperature? Just as a very simple example, why couldn't you query those? at that time of the um, transaction trying to take place and compare it to what it should actually be because what you're using now is you're using something that is pretty much unobtainable by a threat, call it what you want, and this is a real-life test of something that is happening implicitly rather than sort of, you know, using digital methods to uh, send um, information backwards and forwards and different types of keys, which eventually through brute force methods and you know, improvements in nanotechnology will get broken by security methods. But I think using IoT sensors, the ability to test implicit things across a variety of sensors, but also millions around the world, could be a really nice way to think of ways to test security for transactions across the internet. Um, it's a bit out there, I get that, but it's actually quite a useful way to think of how can the environment or what a sensor is trying to do um, give us granular information about what's actually true when making a decision around high value transfers in the in the kind of finance game yeah i, I totally agree it's um it, it, it is kind of totally like mind-bending in terms you think of yeah. where that potentially all ends up in the future the internet of values is uh, an exceptionally incredible concept um and just like say that that kind of transfer of value not necessarily monetary in its traditional sense or how value is currently calculated so if you think of more traditional methods of banking and even if, you know, for those people, any of our listeners who do actually have um, any form of currency in their wallets, it's often referred into, you know, the Bank of England, et cetera. And then therefore yeah. that, that currency, that note that you have and the value that that is perceived to hold in some way, shape or form and very traditionally like links back to probably some form of like precious metal or something that is held within a vault yeah. somewhere within the Bank of England. And this, you know, entitles the bearer to um, and, and those types of wordings that you would often see on forms of currency, whereas the, the internet of value, um, where you're really then starting to get into like blockchain type technology, uh, is it, built on an entirely different concept altogether. 
where value is not something um, physical or based on, uh, as I said, a form of, of precious metal. Yeah. Market wealth, trends. As, as, yeah. it, it's, based, it's based on perception. Yeah. Um, and the value of something is purely based on what someone is prepared to pay for it. Yeah. Uh, but what we see, you know, you know, when you start, for me personally, I start thinking about internet and value, start thinking about blockchain, immediately start thinking about you know, cryptocurrencies yeah. um, and, and those types of things. Then it's just just look back over recent months and years of news and you can see it, it is because it's not based on something physical or the way wealth was, uh, and value was, was calculated traditionally. It is quite volatile. Yeah, and um, scary to be honest. But, but they're quite scary. Incredibly exciting. Yeah. You know, yeah. Those investments can. You know, read recently about somebody who threw away a a, a form of memory device, like a memory stick or um, <laughs> a, an external hard drive, and it had all the keys on it to his Bitcoin, um, and it's worth something like thirty million pounds today. The Bitcoin that he bought years and years ago, yeah. and he knows it's on a rubbish dump somewhere, and he's trying to pay the local authorities millions of pounds yeah. if it's found um, to allow the permission to, to employ people to go back and dig it up and try and find it and that type of thing. So I think with with the technology, whether it's contactless payments or cryptocurrency that requires passwords, etc., and keys to be stored somewhere else, we have to start thinking about things differently. So I suppose that storage device that held those keys to this gentleman's Bitcoin that's the modern day stuff in your mattress with cash. Yeah, exactly. People, how, how people used yeah. to operate decades ago if they didn't exactly. necessarily 100% trust high street banks. You know, yeah. so it's the same type of concept, but just a, using tech now. But, you know, um, there's a great story where you mirror the whole crypto with um, a real life example of things you can buy. And, you know, Tesla's now taking Bitcoin as part of payments for their vehicles. And, that, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm, there's nothing more tangible than a car. You know, it's been around for a very long time, um, still made of metal and now batteries and lots of other different things. But actually, you can pay with it with something that you can't physically really touch is insane. Uh, but it is not insane. This is the world we live in. And the ability to have the trust to do that, the Internet of Things has to support not just authorization and authentication of that product, but also needs to be able to watch the market and make sure that when Elon Musk is, you know, charging whatever amount of Bitcoins he wants for his cars, um, he's not taking a huge loss in about three seconds because of the change in value. You know, these are these yeah. are pretty pretty interesting ways in which how do you price a car on a cryptocurrency? You know, this word of like, do you would you would you ever buy something based on perception is pretty interesting in a sales environment because quite often we do right we pay over the odds yeah. for things that have brand value to us but may not have brand value to someone else um exactly you mentioned that volatility there dan you know you could go in and make a payment for that vehicle using bitcoin walk away the 100 percent legitimate owner of that vehicle yeah. but the value of that bitcoin plummets the next day so you're going to, you as the buyer are going to feel like you've you've got a wonderful deal. If it goes the other way and the value of that Bitcoin so, Bitcoin soars over that short term, you can end up your what was worth fifty grand is now worth a million. Yeah. You're going to end up feeling like you paid a million pound for your Tesla. But this is now um, the perception, isn't it? It's that volatility yeah. to kind of help us understand how that how volatile these markets are and how volatile finance is in general. But when you put tech in there, maybe a little bit more. You know, there's other things that have made the news recently. Um, I've never heard of GameStop. 
No, I just kept trying. I just I just stopped going to game because I can't buy a PS5. <laughs> <laughs> that's basically um, my as version soon, of it. As soon, as soon as you're allowed, you can come and play with my <laughs> We have a GameStop. I've never, I've never heard of them. So for those that didn't know, they're a video games retailer. They were hit pretty hard by the pandemic. But effectively, a large group of amateur investors basically sent the share prices into a frenzy. So for those that may have seen, you know, films based on it or understand what kind of short selling means, effectively real kind of big investors, the, the big boys, the Wall Street um, establishments and that type of thing, these hedge fund investors, there's a very clever way. So entirely legitimate, entirely legal, but almost betting that shares and stocks won't perform well. And your GameStop, they're a retailer, um, high street presence, not great online presence struggling during a pandemic, a fairly safe bet if you're inclined to to, to invest in that way, that uh, their stocks weren't going to perform particularly well. But all it takes is a group of amateur investors yeah, to yeah. start to buy those start to buy those shares to send things the other way. Um, and it's 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 almost like the modern day David versus Goliath uh, story <laughs> in that you know the people just using online forums grouping together to create this army of amateur investors to take on the multi-billion dollar hedge funds yeah. and basically you know give them a, a bit of a kicking yeah and for the people who bet against the performance of those stocks it actually went entirely the other way so you know the volatility hedge fund you'd like to think these guys get it right more often than not volatility uh is evident more than ever i would think because i think the the man on the street's now quite savvy um yeah. can get a head around these things and they actually if we get together and do this we can well, the you can outwit and outmaneuver the big hundred percent. I mean, the access to information is just so prevalent. I often say this: you don't always have to remember everything; you just have to remember where to find it. That's basically that's <laughs> basically what I'm the world has at, become. I'm terrible at both of those things, <laughs> which is absolutely where to go. But um, just to sort of you know bring it bring it bring it home and and, and and sort of move on from there. The really interesting thing for our market in the in the in the finance world has been you know we've been. When you talk about volatility, you talk about volatility of connectivity for devices that need to make critical decisions in finance. We've been we've been fairly successful working with clients right around the world, particularly at the moment in the Caribbean, where we're supporting many many EPOS devices, thousands of them, to connect to multiple networks on the islands, where you know you've got some fairly high net worth people constantly using um, the islands um, and uh, looking to make payment processes. You know things like that, um, where one of the one of the strengths of what we try and bring into this market is the ability to connect anywhere you are, uh, and particularly with your EPOS device or whatever device it might be. Um, so yeah, that's something that I think you know if anyone is in finance or trading or actually finds this sort of stuff interesting, do head over to our website and check out um, our IoT blog where we'll be putting this particular podcast up, or you know. Contact the team um, if you think that, you know, it's something that you'd like to learn a little bit more about. Great. I'm going to sign off on that, Bernie. Anything else from you want to add? Nothing from me. Thank you, Dan. I really enjoyed uh, recording the podcast with you. No, look perfect. forward to doing another one, another one soon. Thanks for joining me. I do appreciate it. Um, if you do want to know more about us, uh, we're, our website is pangea-group.net. Um, we're available on all social channels, LinkedIn, Twitter. Um, and uh, please do give us a call if you are interested in anything else. Um, thanks so much, Bernie, and um, thank you very much to the listeners. We will speak to you again shortly.